This podcast is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. Join now and receive members-only perks like signed copies of each monograph, guest curator notes, special edition prints, members-only pricing to the store, and first dibs on exclusive editions. Join Charcoal Book Club at charcoalbookclub.com. Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is photographer Emma Hardy, and we are going to talk about her first monograph, Permissions, published by Ghost. Permissions is a document of motherhood and childhood, love and yearning and leaving home, and it spans a 20-year period in which Emma was photographing her children, her home life, and the period of time in which she had to pull up roots and leave home. Emma shares some really thoughtful experiences about being a mother and a photographer and stepping outside that role of being a mother in order to photograph her children. She also talks about her childhood experiences of trying to make sense of the world in which she witnessed adults in her life who were saying one thing and acting another way and trying to find this kind of authenticity. And she carries that exploration and search for authenticity in her personal work. She also uses it as a guiding principle in her commercial work. We talk more about her commercial work towards the end of the show. We also talk about learning to let go of your work and trusting others to edit and organize your work and help you put it all together. So the book is still for sale, uh, but its numbers are dwindling. I know there are still copies at Charcoal Book Club and other vendors as well. So if you like this conversation and you're interested in the book, you should probably act pretty quickly. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show and we will talk soon. Well, hi, Emma. Thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Completely a real pleasure to be here, Michael. Yeah, we had a, a little bit of back and forth and trying to get uh, get this together. I, I mean, you were actually here in New York and somehow I missed you uh, recording with you live. <laughs> I know. I know. That was sort of agonizing. But anyway, here we go. We're yes. here with, 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 with all of the luxury of modern kind of facilities. We're, exactly. Yeah, we're off. It's like it's we're together. So we're going to talk about your book, Permissions, which is published by Ghost. Did I say that right? <laughs> Correct. Yes. Perfect. Yes. yes and, um, but before we do, I thought maybe we just get a little background on how you got interested into photography, started with photography. Tell us about that. Well, photography was part of my life, I guess, in two different ways. When I was little, I grew up in an environment that was, there were a lot of kind of actors and performers and creatives in my family. And therefore, because of what they did, there were a lot of photographs of them. So my understanding as uh, as a youngster was that that a photograph was a very different version of reality. So I look at a photograph of my father and I go, hmm, yeah, okay, I see. That's a photograph. It seemed to be a concept entirely of its own. It wasn't related to the man that I knew, and so on. I'm just using his him well, as an that's, example. Well, that's actually a pretty sophisticated look at photography because mm. I. I have to teach that a lot. <laughs> mm. Anyway, yeah. so that was that was something that struck me. And the and the other way that it then struck me from a slightly different direction was that when I was about seven or eight, I was given a little camera, a little sort of instamatic kind of, you know, just the basic go-to point and press camera of the day that a child could work. And it had a magnesium flash cube that I had to keep mm-hmm. replacing. So only four flashes. Anyway. 
I adored taking pictures. I thought it was about the most magical thing I knew. And not only did I adore the actual act of it and the flash going off and, and so on, but I found sort of assembling life or people into a tiny little viewfinder was was quite a strange and kind of mystical process. And then when I looked at the pictures, which invariably were quite terrible and very disappointing, <laughs> what I did start to notice was, it's funny, it's not looking like it was when I took the picture, kind of. I, I realized that not only was there a, a big gap in the interpretation, because obviously the camera was very cheap and I was a terrible photographer and da 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 but what I was feeling in that moment wasn't being translated mm. and I found it therefore disappointing. So I had two aspects of photography that these these very elevated, amplified, carefully produced, often studio black and white portraits of the people around me who I knew in real life in color. And then my own attempts at, at catching something more real that was that were failing. But I still found it absolutely compelling. Anyway, cut to when I was quite a lot older, I remember coming across friends at, at uni who knew how to work cameras like proper analog cameras. And I felt very, I felt in awe of them. And I also felt quite envious. I felt that they were possessed of knowledge that I would never have. I'd never know how to, I don't know why there was a sort of a block going on. Interesting. So that was that. And then let's cut to another few years later on, I was living in Paris and I loved going to galleries. And for the first time, I was aware of seeing photographs in art galleries presented as art. And I found this very curious and very fascinating. And again, they were, they were black and white. They were mainly taken by men. I would, I'm talking about seeing shows by Helmut Newton. There was a French photographer called Jean-Louis Sif. And, you know, they were, again, they were very beautiful, glamorous pictures. I think I'm sure most of your listeners will be familiar with their work. But I was, I was kind of intrigued. I was like, I didn't think photography was art. I mean, okay, well, that's interesting. I thought it was quite a banal process and it either told a lie or it told a rather bad version of reality. I didn't, I didn't kind of see it as art. But then, anyway, that got me thinking, that really got me thinking. And Looking at the work of Helmut Newton led me to the work of his wife, Alice Springs. And then suddenly I started to see what I felt was very satisfying and very moving because I started to see portraits that were taken with integrity, with authenticity, with gentility. And I started to sort of re-believe in photography as, as an art, as a creative process, etc., etc. Then cut to... Quite a few years later, I have met a man who I fell in love with and married and had children. And then there's the inevitable, you know, photographing the kids for momentous <laughs> occasions or not. And I was also aware I used to have funny conversations with my with my husband. We used to go to, I don't know, we'd get invited to some friends' houses for, you know, a meal or whatever. And I'd be very, we'd talk about it afterwards. I'd say, so photo album life, right? Or kind of family photo life, kind of slightly inverted commas. These are the photographs that are on display or they're the photographs that people chose to stick in their albums, which were there available for guests to look at if they wanted to. And I was like, oh my God, this is so sort of, uh, it's again, it's so elevated. It's very performative. It's highly edited. Everyone's always smiling, gorgeous, happy. Nothing's going wrong. It's never raining. 
it's unblemished. It's like a strange, unblemished version of life. And I thought, I've, I find it kind of rather odd. Because I think ever since I was a really young child, I found versions of reality somewhat confusing. Mm-hmm. And that was just something in, that was in me from the get-go. I love the simplicity of truth. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for example, one of the things I've always coached or, or sort of encouraged in my own children, own family is like, just always tell the truth, always be honest, because then you always know where you are. You know, that's a, that's a side side alley. But I think it's it very much informs my approach to photography. And I'm not, I would also just like to say, I'm not for one moment underestimating or negating very creative photography, because, you know, then it does become a, a most extraordinary art form. And the world is brimming with incredibly talented creatives in using, you know, the kind of photography as a, as a creative output. You know, the creation that is brought into photography is, is magic. I also think that for me, what I started understanding was that photography offered the possibility of kind of like everyday magic and just turning the everyday a little bit on its side so that there was a moment afterwards, you know, whether it was weeks or months, years, certainly later, to look at pictures that one had made or taken, whatever, and not only have the luxury of kind of revisiting that moment, but but noticing things that maybe didn't occur at the time, noticing people, let's say, who were photographed 15 years ago, still unconsciously doing the same things with their eyes, their hands, their faces, their, you know, I mean, it's such a storyteller. It's such an incredible storyteller. And it's the one universal language, as long as people can see, as long as they have their sight, as long as they have vision, they can communicate via photography. I mean, of course, all art applied or otherwise is has that possibility. But in terms of actually just communicating reality exactly how something was to the photographer at that time, the viewer can pick up on that. Of course, it's reinterpreted through their own filter. Yeah, yeah. But this was what kept reoccurring to me. And I was dismissing the kind of glossified versions of, of let's say, home life produced by other people, which I also produced myself, let's say, for a while until I realized that they were meaningless to me. They, they felt kind of, well, just meaningless. And I certainly was not interested at all in asking or requiring or, or kind of promoting my kids to kind of perform in inverted commas for a camera to right. put on a, to put on a smile that they didn't feel like making. Yeah. Before we get uh, too far ahead, because I think we're really getting right into the work now a bit mm. too. Mm. I just want to back up a little bit. Um, mm. What you said before about the photographs were, were lies or the photographs didn't feel authentic. There's there's a kind of art that can work in that way. I mean, it's impossible to talk about photography in any one kind of way, right? Because it is ubiquitous. It is all kinds of photography. So, you know, when I tell my students that uh, photography lies, I'm only interested in whether or not it's believable. Yes, I say that with with a kind of dramatic effect, right? Because hmm. that's just a kind of photography we're practicing in the classroom, right? That, yes. that kind of idea. Yes, sure. And and most of the kind of you know documentary style art photography that we we tend to look at in this world mm. <laughs> that mm. we're in, right? Mm. So yeah, the other thing I I find really interesting because you are self taught mostly, right? In photography, yeah, correct, correct. Right, yes. is you had that experience of 
seeing what most people believe to be the fact in the photograph and thinking that that's not my father or that doesn't seem real or that doesn't mm. seem authentic. You And you had that very early, mm. which I mentioned earlier is, is something I have to sort of dissuade my students from believing that, you know, that is the fact. I always li also like to talk about photography as describing, and again, in this documentary style, uh, describing what something looked like at a certain time, but now could never be that again, right? It's, yes. it's always, it, you know, time moves on and yeah, we're looking at something in a new context. Yeah, photography seems to be context. taking pictures is, is very much about what was mm -hmm. as opposed exactly. to what is. You know, for a yeah. nanosecond, it's what is. And then already that's gone. So it, right. it has to be about what was. But you carried that, this idea of the sincerity in photography into photographing your children. You had this instinct that... The photographs you had seen and everybody was making the idea of the special event was not authentic, was not who your children really were. And so I think that gets us to this book. Yeah, I think so. I think that's one other thing that I could add, which is, so my own childhood was pretty confusing and on, on many levels. But I think that one of the things that was particularly confusing and that I probably have spent the rest of my life trying to kind of unpick was that pretty much all the adults around me would say and act in dissonant ways. So they'd hmm. be saying something and acting something different, or they'd be acting some way and their language wouldn't kind of match. And so this kind of confusion with people not being as they seemed or, you know, so on, which was then further exemplified in photography, it kind of took that to, um, you know, to a kind of further degree for me. And I suppose in a in a kind of like a child trying to make sense of something, and I think our human brains, you know, we're always trying to make sense of stuff, we're trying to mm -hmm. join up dots and synapses want to kind of meet each other. They don't want to miss, they want to, they want to <laughs> connect. And um, I've, I've spent a long time trying to make more sense of things for myself, actually. So it's very, you know, it's very deeply personal work without I didn't set out for it to be, but I guess it is. Of course, photography a family is a, you know, one's own family. That is a very personal endeavor because right. it's work that really nobody else can do with the same eye and the same heart. So there's that too. You have certain, there are, there are photographs in the book that are very much a part of the expression of time, photographing your, your children, but also maybe a little sense of loss and change in your life, as well as trying to mark what was home and what is home, I think, in the book? Yes, I think that I think that's really accurate. I mean, I would kind of hope in a way that there is a sense in the book of, yeah, trying to hold on, which mm. is, again, that's another big, that's a big life <laughs> lesson for me is, is, you know, it's something I learned, and actually, I learned really very kind of potently and poignantly during the the kind of the final assembly of of the images and working with Stu Smith, who's the editor and publisher at Ghost, and then actually going on press and printing, is that so much of the various stages in that process, so much of it is about letting go. You know, I, mm. I was I was letting go of images that I was very attached to. I was letting go of sequences that I was attached to. I mean, it, it's just, you know, Letting go if you've been attached is seems to be a bigger thing than just letting go if you're quite casual about something. It's easy to let go. 
letting go when you don't want to or letting go when you're clinging is is a mm. big deal. And so I've been experiencing a lot of big deals <laughs> uh, during this whole process, which are amazing. I mean, I'm learning so much all the time. I really am. Well, you chose, you could not have selected more personal work to hand over to someone to say, no, not this one, right? Yeah, yes, sure, <laughs> I mean, that, sure, you may sure, have chosen sure. the, 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 the toughest yeah. kind of work. Yeah, but I have great faith. I mean, first of all, I have, I have immense uh, respect and, and faith in Stu Smith's ability uh, just as, mm-hmm. a, as an individual. But I also really believe in collaboration and I really believe in, you know, working with with like-minded and, you know, more talented people. So they bring their own, you know, experience, interpretation, etc., wisdom to, you know, what you're offering. Um, right. You know, I found that as actually, I found that's, that's a real privilege, being able to, to kind of discuss and kind of back and forth. And we need it. <laughs> oh, it's a set. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, you know, yeah. learning learning to edit my own work, that, that was a long process. I was terrible mm-hmm. at it at the beginning because I thought everything, if it was in focus, it was, it was, I was so delighted. That's right. Success. I was like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> and, then, and then there'd be a kind of a round two and then a round three. And then I'd look back at work that I'd edited, let's say three years previously. And I'd be like, oh, my point of view is a bit different now. I missed a couple that actually are potentially more interesting and mm-hmm. I kind of dismissed them because of, you know, whatever. And then I think I got to a point where I was like, yes, I am now, I'm now an okay editor of my own work. I may not be, I may not be the best. And anyway, you know, there are many different ways to edit, but I feel I have a much stronger through line. Well, certainly now, but let's say going back sort of 10, 15 years, I started to develop a real sense of what I was trying to say, a sense of my style uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. And that comes through practice. That comes through, you know, sheer dint. Yes, absolutely. I mm. mean, we don't talk about practice enough in photography. The idea that it's not about going out and saying, "All right, I'm here. I have to get it right now. I'll never, you know, I'll never be able to do this again." So here's the photo, and I have to live with it, and hopefully, it's good. No, <laughs> you have to practice. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you have to make a lot for sure. of bad and, photos. And, and there's a great deal in photography. I'm sure everyone who has ever raised a camera to their eye or looked into a camera has felt this, which is the pictures that, that kind of got away, either because mm-hmm. you didn't have a camera or your camera, you'd run out of film or, you know, whatever. Those right. those pictures that take on some kind of mythic status in, mm-hmm. in memory because... <laughs> inevitably you kind of big them up in your mind because they didn't actually happen. Um, And that's also, that's something that it's really great to kind of desensitize that as a photographer so that you're, you're not attaching to kind of what might've been. You're only attaching and analyzing what was or what is, and then becomes what was. Yeah. Right. We, I don't think I properly set up this book because we, we sort of jumped right into it. But this this is your first monograph and congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> After <laughs> and, many years. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And it is a culmination of about twenty years of work where you photographed your life and your children. And in that span of time you also left one home to move into a new home. And the book is broken up into chapters separated by these these flowers. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm blanking. The flowers were were cut flowers. They were flowers. I mean, they're they're quite. That was uh, a very particular little 
and again, deeply personal project that I didn't ever think was going to find a place anywhere. It wasn't mm. for that. It was when I was leaving the house that we'd all grown up in, by which I mean, there was the house that my husband and I bought when our two eldest children were still tiny mm-hmm. um, before our youngest daughter was born. And, and we all grew up. I mean, you know, we got married young. We, we grew as adults. We grew as a family. Our kids grew up. The house grew with us. The garden grew with us. And when the time came to move, my, my marriage had, had broken down. My husband had left four years previous and it was that awful approaching it felt like a terrible doom approaching me which was the moment when I had to leave when I had to give up what I at the time believed was everything I knew everything I loved Mm -hmm. and everything that made me who I was and I was having to kind of let it go I was desperate to hold on to whatever I could and and one of the sort of emblems was I, I was a, I love gardening. I love growing things. I just adore it. And I adore seeing things that I've planted come back, you know, season after season. And one of the things that I adored was seeing these bulbs and flowers that I planted coming back every spring and they're always a mm-hmm. bit different and, you know, doing their thing. And, and that particular spring, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not ever going to see these bloom again it was it felt terribly heavy so as a as a sort of cathartic exercise I I picked some of my favorites and I just laid them on the kitchen counter in front of this little north-facing window where the light was very soft and very beautiful and methodically photographed them over a period of I don't know six six to eight weeks during their kind of blooming season and it was very slow work it was very different to the work that I normally did I was photographing with a big plate camera precariously balanced on tripods and as I was doing it the energy that I was pouring into it was it was hugely charged for me and it was very helpful like I said it was cathartic it felt like a beautiful solitary exercise that nobody else witnessed it was just me my flowers and my Mm -hmm. god if you like (laughs) and and uh, and a process of an attempt at starting to let go really Mm -hmm. And they, the flowers did that very well for me, actually, because I would pick them or cut them or even pull some of them up because I wanted to have their little bulbs as well in the in the kind of um, after the style of like the Dutch paintings, right. you know, the early Dutch paintings still lives. And I'd let them, I'd lay them on the counter and I'd leave them there for a while until they started to wilt and start until they started to let go themselves. And only then did I feel that they were ready to be witnessed and photographed. And, 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 that, and that helps give this book a sense of time passing as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, so one thing I do want to say is that from the get go, there was there wasn't an intention to make a book at all. Well, I I wanted to ask you that as well, because it is a revisiting of 20 years or more Mm, of work. mm, mm, mm. I imagine the the idea for what this this work would be didn't come till much later. Exactly. And it came from a few directions. I mean, a few people started saying to me probably about five, six, seven, eight years ago. So when are you going to make a book? You've got such a huge body of, of this personal work. You know, when are you going to put it all together? And I was like, oh, God, I don't, I mean, I don't really know. I hadn't, you know, it hadn't really occurred to me. And even when I was leaving the house and I was doing, and I was making these last pictures, like some of the pictures, they are more towards the end of the book, but there are, there are some pictures that I took literally on the very last day that we spent in the house. And actually, that is where the book 
draws to a close. I'm not saying those are the last actual images in the sequence in the book, but that's where the project that then became Permissions actually did end, was that Mm. day that we left the house. There are no photographs in the book that were taken subsequently. And again, that wasn't a... That wasn't planned. It wasn't premeditated. It was so, so one thing that I really can say with my hand on my heart is that the, the process, the flow, the energy, the charge in every single picture in this book is, is authentic because nothing was made with an end game. Nothing was made with a sight on, you know, something further down the line. It was very in the moment. Can I, can I catch this? Is there a way of holding on to that? Da da da. You know, there's something mm-hmm. very beautiful going on. There's something very joyful. There's something very solemn. There's something, you know, what, whatever the different sort of energies were, and and my attempt to pull them in through the camera and get them stamped onto the film by light and time, really, and then to be able to revisit them. You know, that's that's an amazing. You know, and photography is. I will say this till the day I die. Photography is magic. It's it's magic <laughs> the way that it can do that. Well, the thing that also happens over those 20 years is your kids are growing up and there are photographs of your mother as well. And your, yes, your mother. yes, absolutely. The The pictures of my mom came around, sort of came into being really when it coincided with a time when my kids became far less interested in being photographed. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, they, they weren't acquiescent. They had, they got to a stage where they'd become more self-conscious. I think every parent who is interested in photographing their children in an authentic and sincere way will speak of that same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there's a moment where it's just not really possible in the same way that it was, uh, because one of the tremendous joys and privileges and actually honors in photographing young children or younger children is that they're lost in their own moments and you're you know, I've, I found myself so often there as a kind of, you know, a, a witness, just someone who was part of a scene. Maybe I'd been instrumental in setting up the scene. And I don't mean a scene in sort of dramatic ways, but, you know, I was the mom. I was responsible largely for the homestead, for the clothes, for the food, for the garden, etc. So if they were interacting with any of those things in a particular way, that was part of what I offered as a life, I guess. And then witnessing them rolling around in that was such a beautiful thing. And they were rolling around carefree. And right. then and then the day arrives when they are less carefree and they are more <laughs> careful and yes. more and self-conscious. Well, and, and also, speaking of my own experience, when I hold up the camera to my children now, it's more... All right. Do you want me to do something? Should I stay over? You want me to sit over here? Do you want me to, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, they're they're second guessing a little bit of direction, maybe. Yes. uh, Now they want, all right, give me some direction. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But there's a beautiful essay by Alice Zhu where I think she speaks to this this idea of losing that ability of. Not not theatricality in in a fake way, but the theatricality of childhood. Yes. Children are theatrical. I, I think she writes about this so beautifully, which are these almost, they look like rehearsed gestures. It's, mm-hmm. it's when a child is trying something. And I, I remember that sensation. I remember that so clearly myself as well. So when I read her words, when I read the text that she sent me for the first time, and I was like, oh my gosh, that just catches everything. It just catches it so eloquently. 
And there is this theatricality that exists in children. You know, it's like, look at a child crying. It's big mm-hmm. crying. And then some yes. of this crying stops. And then it's big laughing and these wonderful movements and gestures and whatever. When they're trying to make an emphatic point. Yeah, yeah, Right, exactly. they're learning gesture and it looks Shakespearean. Yeah, yes. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then they keep going and eventually the kind of, you know, the rough edges of that very theatrical gesture get kind of worn, softened mm-hmm. a little bit, and it becomes just more natural and fluid and, and so on and so forth. And I loved I loved that theatricality of children. And that was something that I found very, very captivating in its reality. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that you can ask a child to reproduce because either they're doing it or they're not. You cannot direct them or require them or cajole them into doing it because then it's not the same at all. No, then it, it just looks like something you were trying to make. Yeah, and it's like these, <laughs> these you know, faces pulled for a camera, which are, mm-hmm. which are meaningless, I think, really, other than to say that I can mask what I'm really feeling by showing my teeth, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. But, right. but going back to what I was saying about my mom, so when, when my mm-hmm. own children became self-conscious to a point that, you know, or, or they just flatly refused. They're like, no, I don't, I don't, just don't want to be in a picture. And the end, you know, um, and my mom's <laughs> around and I, I thought I'd never really photographed, I've never really photographed my mom. She was immensely photographed when she was younger because she was, she was very beautiful and she was a, she was trying to be an actress. So there was all of that kind of that went on and she definitely knew how to pose. And I had a slightly, uh, I'm not going to say strain, but, you know, at times my relationship with my mom was a little remote because there'd been all this artifice in my childhood and I didn't actually fully trust her in honesty. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's quite a that's quite a powerful thing to say, but, and, and it's true. And I wondered in a kind of almost instinctive way whether there was a way of getting, whether there was a way, there might be a way of getting to know her a little bit better if I photographed her. And um, so I, I had to, I really did have to persuade her because she didn't really want to be photographed. She felt, she felt unbeautiful. She felt sort of unbeautified by her age. She's, she's found the age. She's actually, she's still alive. She's 93 now. She's, she's oh, found wow. the aging process incredibly challenging as probably, mm. you know, very bit people who are very beautiful in their youth probably find. And it's been much documented by most writers and artists throughout time. Um, <laughs> anyway, so she was another one who, who found it difficult. And so persuading her to sit and and kind of be herself as much as she was able in front of the camera that was quite a quite a thing and I felt that there were moments when we really got there and it felt very very beautiful and very intimate and I realized that via my camera I'd sort of chanced I'd wished for it but I didn't know I was going to get there I'd sort of chanced on another way of loving and appreciating her that's that's true that's amazing yeah Mm, mm. yeah because you don't know when you, you start something like that, which way it's going to go? Right? No, no, you have <laughs> yeah. no idea. And, mm-hmm. and and the more you hope, the more you have whatever expectations set up for mm-hmm. yourself, the more disappointing it's likely to be. <laughs> so, so again, that's another thing that I have learned uh, in mm-hmm. photography, which has served me so, so well in life, is to, you know, this whole kind of poison chalice of expectation of making very definitive plans. I mean, unless you're a still life photographer or you know, someone who does need to plan how their photographs go. But I, I had always approached photography with a, a fairly planless mm-hmm. kind of 
energy in the sense that I would see something that was happening and go, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful or, you know, whatever it was that really moved something in me. And, and, that, and that would be the moment that I would try to capture it. Yeah. And uh, most of the time I did have a camera handy because I had got into the discipline of having a camera around, even if it was clunky and annoying mm-hmm. sometimes. I was very <laughs> glad to have it. Yeah. You know, we, we started to talk about these chapters marked mm. by the flowers and plants, the still lives that you made. Yes. And when I was looking through the book, you know, trying to get a sense of what the chapters are, I didn't get a sense that they were exact timelines or anything like that. I did get a sense, though of the passing of time, of season, of life and death and coming of age and getting older. And I think it's, you can almost imagine a timeline, but it's not really exactly a timeline, right? Well, you know, what's time? We've made it very linear (laughs) for our own understanding. I mean, you know, time is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to start discussing it. I'm not, I'm not a Oh no! I, I I'm not, saw I'm as, not qualified to to, to yeah. talk about such huge, huge concepts. But I, I saw do the think, whole thing as a an idea of change. Yeah, I think it's that. I think actually, what for me, Stu Smith's narrative, the narrative that he brought to that he brought to the book, the sequencing that he implemented, um, I found was so lined up with memory in the sense that you remember something and it'll remind you of something else that might be five mm-hmm. years previous. And then it'll remind you of something else that was maybe yesterday or five minutes ago and so on and so forth. And so memory and our internal timeline jumps back and forth the whole time. And I think that what Stu um, has managed so really beautifully and sensitively is that he's given each chapter its own little narrative that doesn't pay that much attention to time, but it does pay Mm -hmm. attention to mood. It pays attention to a a nuance or a tone or a certain energy, or he's very careful that you move, he'll move inside with the pictures and then he'll stay inside for a bit and then there'll be a window or he'll move out of sight again. You know, it's so thought through the sequencing. It's very Mm -hmm. deeply, deeply thought through. And I think rather like people who are very, very good at making complicated things seem very easy. It's like even when you watch a great tennis player. I mean, so I can't even see the ball is traveling so fast. <laughs> and these people make it look so damn easy. And mm-hmm. you go, well, those are the people who are at the top of their game. They make it seem so easy. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the sequencing of a book, if it's successful, it should feel easy. You mm-hmm. shouldn't, as a viewer, you shouldn't have to labor. It should leave you it should um, impart a sense of something. And again, every viewer will experience that differently because every viewer has their own series of life experiences, series of lenses, series of, you know, add-ups of everything that that will chime slightly differently. Right. Also, your photographs are filled with such gesture and mood and color and tone themselves that then sequencing those together, you are sort of providing this opportunity for someone to bring their own experiences while they're they're looking at your work because there is such a connection, such a human connection in the work. Yeah, I think for me as a photographer, that's something that I hold very close. It's really important to me that whatever I offer up, either as a commission photograph or as personal work, is is open for interpretation. I don't want to dictate. I don't want to govern or guide or, or etc. I just want to say, look, here's here's what I felt. Do you feel it too? Or do you feel something too? Mm-hmm. And and I think the the interpretation of that is just infinite and so beautiful, you know. And 
people may or may not respond to some of my work and some people may flat out find it not you know they just don't want to and and others do and the and the responses are so varied and I think that's terrific right you mentioned the large format when doing the still life work mm. and I think I read you used multiple formats mm. along the way. I think there was Polaroid in there, maybe. And there is actually there's film. only one Polaroid, oh, okay. which was a large format that actually made it into the final cut. There was 35 millimeter shot photographed on Chrome. There mm-hmm. was 35 millimeter. I mean, most of it is film. I mean, it's all analog. There mm-hmm. was some early. I used to uh, in the in the kind of early days, I'd buy Chrome film because it was a lot cheaper. And also I found looking through a kind of a positive image, holding that up to the light was just gorgeous. Well, I just found the colors were just, just this will date gorgeous. Me. I don't think there's anything more magical than a slide. <laughs> yeah. I mean, heaven. It was like, it was like heaven in a small uh-huh. holdable form. I couldn't get over it. I couldn't get on it. Anyway, <laughs> then I started using, I always worked off Kodak film stock and then I started using Kodak film stock. 35 millimeter then I bought a medium format camera and I totally fell in love with that and that Mm -hmm. actually is probably the majority the vast majority of the book is medium format six seven and then at some other point I started working with a field camera the large format five four bellows field camera and there's a certain amount of the work not just the flowers there are some there are some portraits uh, photographed with the large format and Mm. that was also you know, that I didn't even own that camera while my kids were running around. Hmm. It wasn't something I could just sling over my shoulder and pop in a bag, you know. It's a whole hoo-ha, it's a tripod mm-hmm. and, a, and a cloth. <laughs> and So that was when I was photographing in a slightly different way. It was more considered and it was, it was certainly more planned. It was like, oh, I think I'm going to do this. Let's see how I can figure it out. Well, I give mean, credit my- to, again, <laughs> all the people who helped you on this book because the color grading if that's you know something Mm. or just it the book is seamless in Mm. across those formats yeah it works very well it does and Mm -hmm. it's been beautifully printed and no I mean I couldn't be more delighted and also I mean I really couldn't be more delighted with it and and I'm also delighted because it still feels a little unexpected to me as in like it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't really a plan it just kind of it almost gathered itself into being really. And mm-hmm. it was it was actually what really swung it into a kind of much more condensed form was was lockdown. It was like oh. here's, here's something I can do with some of the time. Yes. Yeah. I suspect we've we've gotten a lot of books because of lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I know. There are a lot actually funnily enough, when I was in New York just now, I was absolutely entranced by Tina Barney's early work. Oh. And that was again was a was a lockdown mm-hmm. project, and she she went through all her old thirty five millimeter the black and white work, but color a lot of it's I mean there oh, is some okay. black and white. I mean I haven't seen the extent of it. I haven't. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful book out which I think she's called The Beginning, which is which is opposite. You know, this, oh, it wow. was her her start out, and again that wouldn't necessarily be available to the world had it not been for for lockdown. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a short poem. At the end of the book, just before the the essay by Alice Wu, uh, do you mind if I read it? I think I have permission to read it. It's in you the book. T- you absolutely <laughs> have permission. Please go ahead. I will wait out till my thighs are steeped in burning flowers. I will take the sun in my mouth and leap into the ripe air, alive with closed eyes, to dash against darkness. It's beautiful. It's so descriptive. I feel it when I read it. 
Yes. Yeah. And, you know, so that's uh, that's an excerpt from a longer poem by E.E. E. Cummings. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's uh, that particular part of the poem. Actually, there was a, there's another stanza that goes on to talk about the moon. That I, I should have known after. that, by the way, it's it's formatted. Oh, by the way, it's set out. Yes, he had, he had yes. a very particular way of, of yes. starting and, and finishing lines halfway and right. dropping them down and, and punctuation and so on. Um, and I have carried it. I can't remember the very first time I wrote those lines out for myself. It must have been... Oh, I think I must have been in my late teens or early 20s. So those words have been with me for a really, really long time. And in one of an earlier incarnations of the book, I I think my first kind of, you know, attempt at gathering it together, that was right at the very beginning. It was almost like an announcement. Mm. And then it was sort of let go. And then I worked with a designer and then I brought in a second verse and there was the bit of the first verse and the second verse and da, da, da. And then it all got let go. And then as we were almost kind of finalizing the sequencing and the edit of the book, Stu brought it back in, but he put it at the end and he put it after the last picture. And I was like, oh my God, that's... That's perfect. It's an afterthought. It says everything that I've tried to say in the book. It couldn't be better there. Um, <laughs> so again, it felt like a kind of bit of magic that it's been with me for a really long time. And I, mm-hmm. I just adore his work anyway. So The title itself, Permissions, feels like permission is uh, this sort of word of healing, right? Giving yourself permission, Mm. becoming whole, allowing, allowing, exactly. Yeah. Right. Is that part of the process of this book? It definitely is. Again, it wasn't something that was necessarily occurring to me with such clarity Mm -hmm. during all those years of the picture taking and the picture making. But in retrospect, and in fact, the title was offered to me by a friend because I was really struggling. I was reading, I was incessantly reading Alex Soth's essays on titling books and writing things down <laughs> and I had about 25 different titles and it's all it, it's a, it's kind of a you know similar to naming deciding on what name are you going to give your child knowing that they have to then carry it with them well, <laughs> carry that with not. them That's yeah right. I mean they can change it of course sure, they have, when they're adults <laughs> yeah when they're adults or when they're old enough to decide um but it would it felt like it it had something that was similar to that sort of level of importance and I just couldn't I couldn't find it had a working title and then it had another working title and la 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 mm-hmm. anyway a friend of mine who helped me with the first edit um and who was massively instructive and supportive and uh, you know is really a sort of a mentor a great great um encourager he's he's wonderful he works in photography as well Stephen Ledger Lomas anyway he he pulled a an edit together and he said I I think by the way you should call it permissions that's what I that's what I feel you should call it (laughs) and I kind of rolled it around a bit and I was like yeah I think that's an incredible title and then I sort of second guessed it and I was like oh I don't know and even Towards, I had that discussion with Stu. He was like, you know, this title, da da da. Do we and and we we kind of played around with a couple of others and just kept coming back. And it's, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I didn't change it from that. It's it's. You're it so speaks, glad you didn't rename your child at the last. Oh, minute. I'm so glad I didn't rename my child and give them a ton of names or a very long sentence or something. No, because it does speak of it speaks of many things uh, on many levels. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just the initial thing of the kind of inherent permission required in 
taking somebody's photograph and you can kind of mollify it a bit by saying making a photograph and yes that's that's also true but Mm -hmm. there are so many people around this planet who who believe that being photographed is actually having part of them taken away and i i kind of understand that so there needs to be permission collaborative permission there needs to be in the moment to allow something to unfold not to control Mm. it not to direct it much i think Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it depends on the So I had a very course. different take on the word. Yeah. <laughs> I was and thinking more therapeutic. I think there's also that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's also, that is also relevant. And then there was the permission that I needed to give myself, which is actually really a very mm. big part of this book, which was the permission that I consistently needed to give myself as a mother to photograph my children, which meant stepping outside my role as a mother. And it so often called into question within myself the kind of like, am I being a good mom or am I being a bad mom right mm-hmm. now? Because I'm not cooking them their supper. I'm not putting, I'm not helping them bathe or wash or whatever. I'm actually busy taking their photographs right now. And, you know, there's there's kind of that as well. That went into it. I never felt that I was ever doing anything very well. I wasn't being a good mom. I wasn't being a good photographer. It's, it's, you know, I mean, you can't balance these things. There isn't, a you know, no one, no one ever asks the dad if they're not doing something for their children no, <laughs> when they're true, photographing true. them. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a big old social construction uh-huh. that that task does, you know, the whole kind of <laughs> maternal thing is very right. wide, wide reaching, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yes. so, so there was permission involved in that too. Right. Before we wrap up, you do have uh, what looks like a pretty successful commercial career. You hinted at that earlier. You have photographed the likes of Tilda Swinton and Michael Fassbender and Stella McCartney and and such. Uh, How did the commercial career come about? So what happened was that I showed some of my family pictures to a creative director, just who I I came across. And Mm -hmm. they suggested that I took them to... I was actually, I have a very good friend who lives in Italy, uh, and he suggested that I took them to show he had a contact at Italian Vogue. So I took some family pictures and I showed them to Italian Vogue and they went down incredibly well. They were like, oh, these are just wonderful. We love them. Can you take pictures for us? And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, sure. I mean, how amazing. And in fact, they would send me, of course, they were very child-centric. It was mainly children's kind of fashion. But what they allowed me to do, they would literally just send me a suitcase of clothes every so often. And they'd say, this is the story. And I was able to do it in exactly the way I pleased, which was with my children, with their friends, in a a way that was not, didn't feel like a task. It was Mm -hmm. fun. It was nonchalant. It was casual. It was chaotic. It was, (laughs) you know, and a lot of them didn't, didn't pan out. And I remember once there was a terrible time we were (laughs) near a river and I suddenly looked around and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a very, I'm sure, a very expensive jacket floating (laughs) downstream. And that was the end of that. Um, But, you know, the the fact that they gave me freedom just to clothe a bunch of sort of random kids, let them run around. No, not at all. And then, so then the commercial stuff kind of came via that. Somebody saw the work and they said, we want you to photograph this. And then I kind of put up a bit of a resistance because I found photographing like model children in a commercial way. I found that a real anathema to me. I I couldn't Mm -hmm. really get my head around it. I found it 
actually almost a distressing experience. But at the same time, there was an agency who were interested in representing me and then I talked to them and maybe I did a couple of jobs with them and I found another agency. So that's how it kind of unfurled. And yes, of course, agencies are businesses, <laughs> whether it's editorial commissioned work or commercial commissioned work, but it all came from my personal work, from my family work. Right. The way it started with Italian Vogue was really nice that you had that freedom. Mm. And so for that to change where there's much more art direction and a much more controlled environment, I'm sure that was really distressing. And also, you said, I think, an anathema to what you believed about photography. It was, it was, it was everything you thought from childhood on in terms of what a, a, an authentic photograph was, was, <laughs> was yeah. not that, right? It was not the thing. I mean, obviously, yeah. I completely understand that the use of photography in, in that. And I, yeah. and I found it totally, totally fine when it was with, it was just working with children that I found mm -hmm. difficult in a commercial aspect, working with adults, of course. And I have gone on since then to photograph children in a commercial way, but not usually just children, it's children with adults. So there's mm -hmm. an interaction. And I found a way of doing it, I believe successfully, which is to allow the grace of childhood to shine through and mm -hmm. not to impose and not to overdirect and to work really fast because you have a small window um, <laughs> when the energy is lined up in a in a joyous way, you know, when it works. Right. Well, on that note, that actually seems like a really good place to, to end. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you so, so much, Michael. What a pleasure talking with you. And um, yeah, thank you. You as well. Yes. And congratulations again on the book. It's fantastic. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so glad you have it. And I hope anyone else who feels moved to, to get it really enjoys it. Yes. So it, it's mm. sold out on the publisher site, but it's still available. I know it's still available at Charcoal Book Club, which is a sponsor of the show. Yes. <laughs> good. I think they still have copies. There's, um, there, I think there are a couple of bookstores in the, in the U.S., Mm -hmm. that are that are stocking that still have stock in the UK and in Europe it's pretty hard to get hold of I've got to say the photo bookstore have it still it's at a rather elevated price but that's beyond my control and yeah and I I have a little well, supply, inventory yeah I have a little inventory <laughs> but I don't want to yeah I do if, if there is right. anyone well, who can't can't get hold get of get it now yeah. while you can mm, yes <laughs> I think so good All right. thank you again so many thanks what a pleasure right. bye everyone take care Bye. Goodbye. Real Photo Show is produced by me, Michael Chovendalton, and the music is by Matteo Chovendalton. Be sure to check out our bonus content on YouTube at Real Photo Show. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast players. And if you feel so inclined, please rate the show with many, many stars. <laughs>